everybody. Welcome to the All Sinners Podcast. You can tell by my voice it's going to be a rough one, but we're going to plow through. <laughs> it is uh, Wednesday, October 4th, episode 211. As Ryan pointed out on Saturday night, that means Saturday night from the press box at the Cotton Bowl will be 212. Something's getting ready to change. There's going to be a transformation, as Walter White might say. Uh, episode 212 will be Saturday night post-game press conference. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet is going to join us, as he always does, for segment three, talk a little recruiting. All right, Ryan, let's dig into this game. Sooners 50, Iowa State 20. Wait, you don't want to talk about that one? Did we already wrap that one up pretty good? I think I'm good on that, and I just hope that maybe we can give Randall whatever that I was podcasting under the weather last week. You're podcasting under the weather. It's Randall's turn. Step up to the plate, allergies. That's right. Uh, I took uh, some uh, Theraflu this morning, followed by an allergy pill, and this is the best I got. So (laughs) doubling up. I don't know if uh, more is is better when it comes to medicine or more is worse, but we'll see. Uh, We'll see how I react. I can't wait. John's actually going to cover OU Texas from like a bubble around him uh, in the Cotton Bowl press box with our chair bolted to the floor. Yeah, the boy in the plastic bubble. Look it up, Ryan. You're young, but look it up. Uh, John Travolta's finest work, arguably. <laughs> I will say this. I said this on uh, on uh, Tuesday after the Venables press conference. <clears throat> Assuming I make it, right? <laughs> make it to Saturday. Saturday's game will be my 20th consecutive OU Texas game. I, I can't even begin to put that into parameters that a normal human being can understand. For me, for John Hoover to come from where I came from, to go through the things that I've been through, and to be the guy who gets to cover 20 of these things, these are historic events. This is like uh, almost like a presidential inauguration. Instead of once every four years, you get it once every year. And to be able to do this 20 times in a row, 20 years in a row, I am purely and literally humbled beyond words. I don't know how to describe it. So I'm kind of blown away, my hair blown back, tripped over myself, hit myself in the face. I can't begin to put into words, as you can tell by how lame that was, <laughs> uh, how just kind of just... I'm just blown away. I'm literally, holy cow, 20? I never thought I'd go to one. When I started my career, I never thought I'd get to go to one OU Texas game. And to be the guy that gets to go to 20 in a row, there's not a lot of us out there that get to go to 20 in a row of these things. So very blessed, very, uh, very lucky. A lot of streaks were snapped or asterisks (laughs) away in 2020. Eddie and I were actually talking about that this morning, that uh, both Eddie and I, not all covering, have pretty long OU Texas streaks, but due to the pandemic press box, only you know one per outlet, Eddie was not able to go to 2020. I was not able to go to 2020. So it's like I've been to every one of these contests since 2004 with the little asterisk up there uh, for 2020. Now, my view has been much different for most of those games than, than what you've gotten to do. Uh, with your your Rudy's and in your lack of Wi-Fi, <laughs> lack of Wi-Fi, uh, craziness in the uh, auxiliary press box. Uh, <laughs> there's there's some lawlessness, and most of it was perpetrated by the Dallas Police Department. I'll just say that. And there was a medical team that Ryan was getting ready to throw down with last year. <laughs> you guys I, can't I, do that in here. I and they ran. Like, they turned around and ran up the stairs. 
We're trying. We were in copy, <laughs> select all, delete in 2021 as all the stories we'd written at halftime were just thrown out the window. Yep. And I was ready to throw the medical team out the window. So I was like, Shh. yeah, this is a working press box. Ambulance drivers. They were, there were, <laughs> there were cops. There were two cops up there and they were placing bets on like every other play. I bet you five on this uh, that he goes uh, for 10 yards. He gets first down right here. We're like, dude, can't do that in here. This is a press box. It's somewhere else. Somewhere. Go to Ames. They they welcome that in, in Ames and in uh, Des Moines and Iowa City. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of Ames, Sooners cleaned up for the final time against the Iowa State Cyclones. Probably never play them again unless it's, you know, 30 years down the road. They need to pick up some non-conference stuff or something. I don't know. But yeah, uh, the series with uh, with Iowa State is over. Is done. What what was the uh, percentage? They won eighty, lost not lost seven and tied two. Uh, it's the most lopsided Power Five series out there in history. It's crazy. More lopsided than Bedlam, which is saying something. Uh, but yeah, Oklahoma dusts the Cyclones fifty to twenty. Final thoughts on that game, Ryan. Yeah, Oklahoma, it, it wasn't always 100% perfect, but Oklahoma bowed up, made the adjustments, and responded when they needed to. Um, that's kind of been the story of a lot of OU's games outside of maybe Arkansas State, where that one felt about as close to 100% perfect as you could play in a football game. And the good news for Oklahoma is with everything that lies ahead, no one plays a 100% perfect contest in the Red River Shootout. And it is always about how you respond to momentum swings, positive and negative, how you respond to all the adversity, the environment, the atmosphere. And it's now a string of the, of these games, SMU 14 to 11, Oklahoma responds 14 0 run uh, against Cincinnati 10 to six is what that gets cut to. OU responds 10, 10 to 0 run. And now against Iowa state 21 20 Oklahoma responds, doesn't give up a hundred yards the rest of the way and goes on, a what is that uh 29 to to zero run to close that thing uh really really impressive by the Sooners and they'll need to be able to adjust on the fly with everything that Steve Sarkeesian this Texas offense can can do to stress you yeah that's my uh overriding um theme from this takeaway from this uh, Iowa State game is that when things got close, you know, it reminded me of like a heavyweight fight where one is one guy's like the champ or maybe the top contender and he's going up. It's a, supposed to be a warm up fight, right? You got a, the championship belt is is at stake in the next fight. So you you got this one as a tune up, right? They're they're tuning up against Iowa State. Iowa State socks them in the chin like four times in a row in the in a span of about a quarter and a half. And you're thinking, oh boy, they're gonna. This is gonna be bloody, and they're gonna go down to the fifteenth round, and it's gonna be, uh, you know, it's gonna uh, gonna be a, a coin toss because we saw it last year. We saw it a lot last year. And instead, Oklahoma backed off, went to the corner, got a drink, got the little sponge on their head, got their eyes clear again, and came out and just knocked Iowa State to the canvas. That was impressive the way they responded to that and kept their foot on them the whole way. Didn't let up at the end. Uh, basically, they were trying to pitch a shutout after already having given up 20 points, and that's what they did toward the end of that game. I thought it was impressive. Yeah, for sure. And and they'll have to be able to – if you listen to Brent Middle's <laughs> coach's show on Monday night, the difference in being able to make adjustments this year versus last year, he talked about it, that now that the football IQ is better, now that guys understand what they're trying to do, 
Brent Venables can step out and, and ask somebody something after a play, and they might be able to fix stuff mid-drive. But the biggest thing is the, the time it takes for Oklahoma's coaches to convey, here's what's going wrong, here's what we need to do, has been lessened. Because now instead of having to sit there and draw everything out every single time, they can make some quick adjustments, go back and forth. What did you see here? This is what we're seeing. You need to adjust this, that, and the other. And we've seen Oklahoma be able to make some adjustments mid-drive against SMU. We saw Oklahoma get gashed a little bit early on on the ground game against Cincinnati, batting that up, and and then the job that they did on Saturday. I, I just think you're seeing that as the team knows what's expected of them, knows, knows just the defense, it's a lot easier and a lot faster for the coaches to come over and say this, this, and this has to change. And, and like yeah. I said, Regardless, Brent Venables could walk in with a perfect game plan this Saturday. Steve Sarkeesian is too good of an offensive mind, too good of a play caller, too good of a game planner to not have wrinkles that Oklahoma is going to have to react to on the fly. Defense is reactionary uh, by nature. They don't get to dictate the terms. The offense calls the play. You know what I mean? And and Oklahoma is going to have to adjust. It's not going to be a shutout. It's not going to be squeaky clean and perfect. And that doesn't mean that Oklahoma can't win this football game. Yeah, I heard Danny Stutzman uh, refer to it on Saturday night, and I asked um, uh, Woody Washington about it on Monday afternoon after practice about coaches coming to you mid-game and saying, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what they're doing. Here's how we're going to counter. We're changing the game plan. Here's the adjustments we're going to make. They're doing something we didn't, we haven't seen before. They're doing something we didn't expect. We're going to implement this. These are your new reads. These are your new checks. Last year, the defense, the guys just was like, what? What, what what does that mean? I don't understand. How are we supposed to put those in in the middle of the game? This year, both guys said, oh, yeah, when the coach says we need to make adjustments, we know exactly what they're talking about. That's that's everything. That is everything for this team. Yeah, yeah, and it's huge. So let's uh, let's turn the page here, Hoove, because uh, OU's done with Iowa State, and unless it's a bowl game, good riddance. It was nice knowing you. I'm good on never covering one of those again. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about Texas because uh, those those adjustments, as you mentioned, Steve Sarkeesian and the, the way that offense operates, the, the adjustments that they're going to make, small little tweaks throughout their game plan. Uh, if OU corners are shading somebody inside, they're going to do, they're going to change the way they release off the line. If there's somebody on the nose as opposed to uh, the two gap, or I'm sorry, the one gap, then they're going to be. Uh, they're going to, Texas is going to adjust. Texas is going to say, Hey, they're doing this instead of what we saw on tape. So let's change the way we're approaching this particular block. Oklahoma now understands what to do. And, uh, I thought Iowa state was a growth moment. Now you're getting into what it really means. Okay. Let's see how much you've grown because you're getting ready to play Texas and Texas guys. Let's be honest. I know a lot of the viewers and listeners and readers out there. Hey, Texas, that's fine. Whatever. Texas is good at quarterback. Texas is very good at offensive line. And Texas is elite at wide receiver. They're also very good at running back, as Jonathan Brooks has proven. They've got talent across the board. They've got good players. And Sark is having a great year. I keep hearing from national writers, national pundits, or whatever, saying Sark is an elite play caller. Okay. Sark is an elite game preparer. Okay. I want to see it against a full-strength Oklahoma team on Saturday. Yeah, and I thought that Brent Venables had a different kind of energy this week than like last year. I think OU Texas week probably not the best indicator because I think everyone knew that Dylan Gabriel probably wasn't going to get cleared, and it was in the midst of 
that that kind of stretch of losing three straight to start conference play. But you could just tell at times that Brent Venables didn't have as much juice in the press conference. And only in hindsight, can you look back and go, was it because he was up all night trying to figure out how to fix this yeah. thing on film? Was it because right. he just knew the guys didn't know what was going on? Like, what was that? This week, I, I thought maybe the most telling quote of the entire press conference was about who Brent Venables is and what he wants this program to be is when Brent Venables was talking about Oklahoma has not played up to their best. They've not played their best yet, but you need someone to push you. You need to embrace that challenge to rise to your best. We haven't seen Brent Venables coach his best game as a head coach yet at Oklahoma. That's going to come. Texas is going to stress him as a head coach. Texas is going to stress him as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive mind. And, and, and I think that Brent Venable's part of that energy is he, A, he knows a team that if they go in there and, and throw some punches and play their best game, Oklahoma can absolutely win this game. It's the Red River shootout. Any team can win any year, but especially this year. It's a top 12 matchup, and both of these teams, can they have paths to victory that are not outside of what we've seen on tape so far this year. Like They can go in and assert themselves. But I think Brent Venables is also excited to say, okay, they've been pushed at times, but they have not faced anything like they're going to face as far as Texas across the board, what they could do offensively, defensively. And I think Brent Venables is juiced to kind of see what, what the makeup of this coaching staff and what this team's all about. You just, you just said it, you nailed it. This game is so freaking weird. It could be a, uh, it could be a shootout. It could be a shootout in the forties. I think it could be like a 20 to 13 type of game. Um, I think it could be a blowout and I'm saying, I'm saying this because I've seen it. I'm not making a prediction. I'm just telling you, I've seen it. I could be a blowout either way. Texas gets rolling. Oklahoma gets rolling. The other team withers and dies. We've seen it. So, um, we'll make our predictions on Friday. You guys know we do our staff staff picks on Friday. So, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, I, I still don't have a feel for this game, Ryan. Do you? how it's going to go, how it's going to unfold. No, I, I don't. And part of, part of the thing, the weirdness about picking this game every year is that 11 of the 12 games, I pick purely based off of what I've seen or what I like in the first couple of games, what I saw last year and trying to merely project a little bit. And, and I don't like to go into something and be like, well, we haven't seen Gavin Sawchuk pop off yet. So I'm not going to project a huge day from him. But there are weird heroes throughout the history of this yeah. particular rivalry. There are weird moments. You cannot project what's going to happen. Uh, Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian do not know what's going to happen on Saturday. <laughs> and they know their teams better than anybody else. Like, that is this game. It, it, it is college football. It is a quintessential rivalry game. So there are trends that I think are concerning for Oklahoma as far as the history of what this contest is versus what these two teams have done so far. Uh, but I, I'm expecting, anticipating a 12-round uh, heavyweight fight. I, I don't know boxing. Are there 12 rounds in a box? Whatever. A lot of rounds. 12. Used to be 15. They, they took 15 out back when I think the uh, Romans used to use like uh, brass knuckles or something. I don't remember. Long time ago. Um so, what you said is is one hundred percent accurate. I can predict. I feel confident when I predict uh, any other game throughout the season. This game, every year, I'm like, well, 
I kind of see it fold, unfolding this way. I kind of see it, you know, happening according to this plan, but I fully understand. Again, I've covered 20 of these in a row. I've put my name on my picks 20 years in a row and I've probably been right. Like, I feel like I've been right like 35% of the time. <laughs> That's not good. It's not, not good. It's not, but we'll, we'll see it and we can dive in and we will hear, uh, we have a story that ran Wednesday morning that my, my overall, probably the thing I keep going back to when it comes to this game, John, is and head to allsiders.com. You can read it. I throw out probably every cliche I can think of in the first hundred words. Yeah. It's like it's a rivalry. Let's throw it all out there. But there's there's one or two that really apply. And uh, the, the one for me that's really going to shape how this thing goes outside of if it becomes a turnover fiesta, which is, those are hard to predict is who is going to win the rushing game, right? Um, this trend goes back more than 15 years. I just picked 15 years because it's a nice multiple of five. And, it, and I think it represents where the spread offense has really percolated through college football and taken it over. But in this game over the last 15 years, 16 matchups, remember they played again in the Big 12 championship game, the team that wins the running battle, just who has more rushing yards is 14-2. and two. Even in the era of throwing the ball all across the yard, whoever wins on the ground generally wins this football game. And so I think you can look at that one of two ways. A, Oklahoma's defense, their, their defensive front is playing night and day better than what they were at any point last year. One thing that Brent Venables circled was their ground attack. And look at how they performed in Cincinnati. That was the number eight rushing team in the country. Oklahoma held them to about 150 yards coming into that game. Uh the flip side of that, I think, coming into this thing is Jonathan Brooks has gone over 100 yards in three straight games. He has found a great rhythm, especially in Big 12 play. Uh, rhythm is not part of the vocabulary in Norman's running game right now or in the running game in Norman right now. Um, you've had, a, a, you know, Dylan Gabriel chip in in Big 12 play, stuff like that. But uh, both of these teams are pretty good defending the run. But Texas has been better on the ground. So I, I'm kind of trying to figure out how to get to – how does Oklahoma outrun Texas? One of those options is we see the Javante Barnes of last year. We see the Gavin Sawchuck that we saw in the Cheez-It Bowl. If either one of those guys shows up, I'd put that up with Brooks for, for me. Uh, another way is that it's less about what Oklahoma does offensively and more about what they do defensively. If Brent Venables, breaking news, this is not reporting, this is speculation. Brittle was going to call this football game defensively. I, I think that the way that he's talked about being involved and, and all that, if he has the sense for everything, what Sark wants to do and can dial up the run blitzes at the right time, all that stuff. Maybe it doesn't necessarily matter if it's Dylan Gabriel plus a 60 yard performance from Marcus major plus 40 yards from Tommy Walker. If Oklahoma can shut it down or jump out to an early lead and force Texas to abandon the run game and then let this very opportunistic secondary get going then Oklahoma can can do that defensively. But th that's the first matchup I'm really looking at to dictate where I'm kind of feeling off who I'll pick on Friday. Yeah, like Brent said, you you, you need to win the, the line of scrimmage in this game or at least push and win all the other areas. Um, and I think your, your statistic, 14 of the last 16, the leading rushing team has won the game. I think for a while there it was like 16 in a row, so going back even further – uh, than than where you <clears throat> excuse me where you started, I think it's like six, it was like sixteen in a row, seventeen years in a row, or something like that. It was something insane. 
So whoever gets the most rushing yards. And one time, it was funny, it was one time it was one team was dominating the rushing yards the entire game, and the other team got some late stuff in the fourth quarter. And the other team, I think it was Oklahoma, finished with one more rushing yard, and they ended up winning. It was like, what? Is that thing still alive? That streak is still alive? That's crazy. It, 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 but it played out. The other streak, <clears throat> Ryan, is um, the, uh, the, the, the more experienced quarterback – it's not about a first-time quarterback. It's not about a quarterback who, uh, you know, two quarterbacks who have played in this game before or two quarterbacks who haven't played in this game before. This is about one team having a quarterback who has played in this game before and the other team having a quarterback who has never played in this game before. There's a similar number there. It's like going back to 1990. I dug this up years ago. Going back to 1990, the quarterback in that situation where one has played before and the other one hasn't, the quarterback with the most experience is like 17, two and one. And that was go. that was strong. That was holding strong until Jalen hurts came along in 2019 and broke it because Jalen hurts, as we all know, played in the iron bowl. <laughs> he reminded me, I was sitting on the floor at Kansas in the post game interview room, which is a tiny little room about half the size of my little office here. We're all jammed in there. I'm sitting on the floor, holding up my little tiny camera that I had. And I asked him about OU Texas, and he looked at me like this. I swear, he looked at me like this. I played in the Iron Bowl. <laughs> that video took off because, of course, I, I uh, Auburn fans and, and Alabama fans and Oklahoma fans and Texas fans all watched it. But he was right. He was not the typical first-year starter in the in the Red River Shootout. He's he was a guy who has played in SEC championships, played in national championships. I think he can handle the Red River game, right? And he did. He came in and he beat Texas. So statistically, it's an oddity, but it it doesn't necessarily fit the mold of those other games. And then in 2020, Spencer Rattler comes out. COVID, right? The the exception that was COVID, Spencer Rattler comes out and beats Sam Ellinger in overtime. So that trend has kind of flattened out a little bit, but it was absolutely for a long time there. It was the quarterback with the most experience absolutely wins this game. And Dylan Gabriel, maybe he falls in there. He's played South Florida before. He's right? played in civil convict, uh, conflict. The civil conflict. UCF, That's right. UConn. That's right. UConn, Connecticut. That's right. Now um, we're, we're having a little fun, but uh, it's going to come down to uh, Quinn Ewers is has played in this game before. He knows what he's doing. He's made plays. He's made a lot of good plays this year. And his counterpart, Dylan Gabriel, was in the stadium last year, went through pregame warmups, sat in the coach's box where he said there was a lot less noise and it was very calm and poised in there. It's a different atmosphere, obviously, when you're down on the field. He's going to be in it, guys. For the first time in his career, he's going to be, this is the biggest game of Dylan Gabriel's quarterback and career. Um, he has played great so far. I will be very, very, very interested to see how he plays on Saturday against Texas. Yeah. Didn't Jalen Hurts put the ball on the turf a couple of times in that game too? They won yes, despite his fumbles. Um, so did, uh, so did Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, even when those guys won, it wasn't perfect. You know what I mean? And, and something that's made that, that will continue to make that interesting as we go on is now we're in an era where you can get a guy like Dylan Gabriel, who's been through five years of college football before he starts his, his first OU Texas game. So 
it's really interesting. And, and Gabriel did get to take in the atmosphere in the pregame. And that's the only time there was any juice in the, on the OU half of the stadium. The only yeah. time was when they saw Dylan Gabriel on the field in pregame, potentially warming up there. There was a, a little buzz for about 15 minutes while we were all like, have we been led astray by all of our sources and all that stuff that we're saying, no shot, all that. And so uh, that that's something that's going to have to happen. But Dylan Gabriel has an offensive line that has been great in pass protection. He's got a defense that is helping pace the country in turnover margin. It's going to be really interesting how he balances the fact that we just talked about the running game and how if you just go on paper, Texas probably has the slight edge based off what they've done. Um, can Dylan Gabriel find a way to play within himself? Because he talked about, he had, he gave a great interview on Saturday after the game uh, against Iowa State about how he's really embraced just having fun and trying to not make that moment too big. And, and I think that kind of applies to in the Cincinnati game. He had a bad start and there were, and it was the offense. It wasn't just Dylan Gabriel. And there were not many times a year ago where Dylan Gabriel or the offense had a bad start and they got it back on track. Think mm-hmm. of TCU, even before Dylan Gabriel got hurt. Think of West Virginia. Those were poor starts that that didn't really get back on track. Actually, it was more often that either Baylor, they, they're fine and they start turning the ball over and then it peters out. Texas Tech, they're fine. And then the game tightens and it peters out. Oklahoma State, they have the dream start. And then it just halts and, and the defense has to win that one. But in Cincinnati, he found a way to get himself back into rhythm with some short throws, finding Tawi Walker over the middle. And then he was having fun with, with his team and, and Nick Anderson. And, and it seems like Jalil Farouk and those guys make it really easy to have some fun when they get back to the sideline. He's going to have to find whatever pocket of that is this Saturday because it's not going to be perfect. I would expect both sides to turn the ball over. This game's hinky. It's weird. Like It, it just is what it is. And no one really wins a, a perfect OU Texas game. You, Quinn Ewers last year, for as, as low pressure and as easy as Texas made that thing look, he still left a lot on the field. In, in his yeah. first OU Texas game, it could have been 49-0 at half, much less yeah. in the second half. If he hits everything, it's never perfect, no matter even if it's lopsided and a blowout. Here's my prediction. I don't know, not prediction. Here's my analysis, my game analysis. Oklahoma's going to have to stop the run. You can't let them run the ball down your throat, and they're going to have to. Uh, they're going to have to make plays in the passing game to combat what plays Quinn Ewers and those guys make. If they can't do both of those things, then Texas is going to probably have an easy day. You got to do both. You got to stop the run. You got to limit Texas to less than say 115, 120 yards rushing. And then, uh, you know, preferably you would want to limit them to 85 or less. I don't know if that's going to happen. but uh, And then you can't give up 60-yard touchdowns on one side and not get them back on the other side. If you give up 60-yard touchdowns um, from the Oklahoma defense, then you're going to have to – or 90-yard or uh, pl- drives, right, long drives, then you're going to have to get them back on offense. You're going to have to play really good offense to get that stuff back. Tell you what we'll do, Ryan. Uh, We'll take a break right here. Um, We will come back and we will give you our favorite matchups from this game because this is uh, this this is what it boils down to. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? 
Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, we're back uh, on Twitter. You can follow at all underscore Sooners. You can find me at John E. Hoover. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. He has uh, his fingers in that recruiting stuff. Don't forget, Tim is at Tim Willert 2. That's the All Sooner staff, five of us, and we're cranking out the copy. We're cranking out the tweets, the Facebook posts for you guys. The website, of course, is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards, you guys. It's all free at All Sooners. I'll tell you what, I'm super pumped to let you guys know that segment two of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. I got two questions for you. Are you 100% sure that you're going to have a great retirement or do you have some doubt? Secondly, if we could show you how to get completely debt-free, including your mortgage, in nine years or less, on the same dollars that you currently spend, would you want to learn more about that? Of course you would. You can at Infinite Asset Advisors. Not only do they help you plan for retirement, but they show you how to become debt-free before you get there. How cool is that? They are experts in financial planning, retirement planning, and even estate planning. So visit their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more and book a call with an expert. All right, Ryan, segment two, here we go. Let's talk about the best matchups in this game. And I don't mean matchups like uh, Dylan Gabriel versus Quinn Ewers, because guess what? Those two dudes don't play against each other. It's Dylan Gabriel versus the Texas secondary. It's Quinn Ewers versus the OU secondary. And let's start there. Let's start with Texas' passing game. They've got some really good receivers. And the the way we've looked at Oklahoma's receivers this year has changed, obviously, from who's going to lead this team to, wow, who's going to lead this team? You know, it's two it's two different things, two different approaches to the same question. I don't know who's going to lead Oklahoma's team and in receptions, yards, touchdowns. Uh, I think our, it was our man Cliff yesterday that po- that uh, posed the question. You've got three different guys leading the team in three different categories. So you've got a different re- guy leading this team in catches, a different leading the team in yards, and a different leading the team in touchdown catches. Wow, that's hard to believe. That's that's pretty rare. Texas kind of has that same situation. They've got some big-time playmakers on the outside. They've got some guys underneath. They've got some deep guys. And Quinn Ewers is going to, as a friend of mine texted me during the game last week when Iowa State, of all teams, was hitting 57 and 71-yard touchdown passes against the Sooner secondary, he told me that uh, Quinn Ewers is going to be licking his chops. That's the matchup to me, Ryan. The biggest matchup is Quinn Ewers and those Texas receivers against that Oklahoma secondary. 
Yeah, and in the last two years, OU has seen different versions of it, right? In 2021, it was Xavier Worthy going bananas, and, and, and they couldn't tackle him, couldn't cover him, all of that. Last year, Worthy was pretty quiet, not because Worthy played poorly, but because Whittington was an absolute monster. But for me, there's there's one guy that OU, I don't know they have an answer for because there's not many people in college football that have an answer for him. Your best tight end in the country is Brock Bowers. He plays for Georgia. He's insane. The guy behind him, I think, is Jatavian Sanders. And, and for me, that is specifically the matchup that I'm I'm not sure what Brent Venables and Oklahoma are going to do. And, and that'll be the thing I'll be watching most closely is, is it Desan McCollum? We saw Kendall Dolby rotating in at Cheetah. Are those guys going to go line up straight up across from Sanders? Is it a Hey, Kendall Dolby, who came in in the obvious passing situations, plus now you're sitting Billy Bowman or Reggie Pearson across from him to give him some extra help. Is it linebackers dropping into coverage as he hands over the middle of the field? And zone? like, what does that look like? Because Sanders was uncoverable last year. He got a couple of touchdowns. Williamson, I think, ended up with more yards. But Sanders was the one that was killing Oklahoma early. Now, he is day-to-day per Steve Sarkeesian on Monday. But Steve Sarkeesian said he got rolled up on against Kansas. It was not structural. I would be stunned unless there's a major setback that we're not going to get to know about if Sanders doesn't give it a go. And I think that's the big one because Iowa State, they don't have the talent that Texas has. They don't even have the offensive mind that Steve Sarkeesian is, John. But they did do a lot of window dressing, pre-snap motions, things like that. And they had that success early on. Oklahoma was able to batten it up. But if you let Quinn Ewers get into rhythm, if you let Texas score on four straight drives, I'm going to project that if Texas scores 20 points on four drives, you're not going to hold them to under 100 yards the rest of the way. You want to get on Quinn Ewers early with that pass rush, which is another matchup we can talk about, mainly so that he doesn't have the time to let Xavier Worthy beat the defense or he doesn't have the ability to see a clean picture and find Jatavian Sanders. Quinn uh, Ewers is averaging 272 yards per game through the year, uh, 10 touchdowns, one interception. He's been extremely efficient, 66% completions. Uh, and the reason he's been so efficient, he's a good quarterback, but he's got great receivers, man. Xavier Worthy leads the team with 26 catches, 345 yards. He's only averaging 13 yards a catch. He's a deep threat. He is uh, one of the ultimate deep threats in college football, but he's only averaging 13 yards. They've changed the way they get the, get him the football. They get him a lot of underneath stuff like they tried to do or like they did against Tech, uh, Oklahoma in 21 when he goes set, takes the first play of the game for, as a screen and goes 75 yards. His longest catch so far has been 44 yards. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, 22 catches, is next with 321 yards, four touchdowns. He leads the team in TD catches. Jatavian Sanders, 13 games – I'm sorry, five games, 13 catches. He's averaging, He's leading the team, basically. He's averaging 21 yards per catch. That's your tight end. Uh, the son McCulloch's going to have his hands full when he covers him. The Reggie Pearson, Peyton Bowen, Billy Bowman, those guys are going to have their hands full when they catch him because he's a mismatch. He's a physical mismatch. But you could say that with a lot of those guys. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what the corners, what Oklahoma's corners do because those guys are playing. I don't know what Kenai uh, Walker's um, health status is. But those guys are playing extremely confident right now, the corners I'm talking about. Not the safeties, but just Woody Washington and Gentry Williams and Kanai Walker. And, you know, you saw last week Kendall Dolby coming on blitzes, getting his hands on footballs and stuff like that. They're playing at an extremely high level of confidence right now. 
the, the challenge is laid out before those guys. Here's the guys that you're going to have to stop. Here's what they've done. Here's their body of work. Now go do it. I trust Woody Washington, right? Because he kind of had his breakout against Texas. Uh, God, was it three years ago now, 2020, when he was leaping up and catching that ball in the end zone? Or was that 21? I can't remember. Um, but he, you know, I talked to him this week and he's like, I actually talked to him last week and he's like, yeah, I feel like I'm playing it at a very high level. And I feel like that Texas game a couple of years ago kind of launched me into that, into that trajectory. Um, my words, not his, but that was the, the essence of what he said. And then you throw a guy like Gentry Williams in who, when you watch him play extremely high confidence, why Ryan, this is his first year as a starter. Why is he so confident? I don't get it. Um, but that that's an extremely important matchup. I think I've said the word extremely like eight times now. Very important matchup for the Oklahoma secondary. Well, and, and Gentry's been really, really good at identifying little swing passes and bubble screens, shedding a block, and then tackling. And how did Xavier Worthy house the first play from scrimmage two years ago? Because they couldn't tackle him behind the line of scrimmage, he gets a, a just a quick ball. It's meant to be an easy, easy pass to get Casey Thompson in rhythm, and you look up, and suddenly the Longhorns are up seven to nothing because Xavier Worthy outran everybody. So that one is going to be absolutely massive. Gentry has been so good about that so far. What in the world? Oh, this is the national test. You got to experience that. <laughs> I forgot. It was the every phone in America is supposed to have that test on it. Uh, I saw Red Dirt Sport, our good friend, point out. There's a lot of people with prison phones that have suddenly they're, they're going to get got by this national test. So I'm glad you got to experience it live here on the All Suiters podcast. But On the podcast. No extra charge for the uh, the, the alert on the no, podcast. No, not at all. But Gentry's been excellent. He hasn't had to line up against someone as, as talented in the open field as Xavier Worthy. Uh, he hasn't had to. If he's the one that's shooting the gap and having to bring down Jatavian Sanders, that's a big, big guy that, that's very, very – uh, fast, but also great at breaking tackles. Uh, this is the ultimate test. If, if you're tackling an open field uh, and you do a really good job of that, you're going to have success defensively in OU Texas. Okay. Um, and Jordan Whittington, who I think is a fabulous receiver, and he's put out some some really tremendous uh, individual single-game efforts. He's only got 12 catches on the year. 12 catches. So, um, you know, there's more ahead for him for sure. So that's something that uh, Oklahoma's – that's not – boy, you wouldn't want – you cover Xavier Worthy and you cover A.D. Mitchell and you cover J.T. Sanders, and then all of a sudden here comes uh, here comes uh, Whittington for uh, 12 catches. That can get you beat. Let's flip uh, sides of the ball, Ryan, and talk about Oklahoma's passing game. Dylan Gabriel's having an unbelievable year, 300-some yards a game, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions, completing – I think third in the nation, 77, 78% of his passes completions. He's having an unbelievable game, and I like him and the depth of the Oklahoma wideouts against this Texas secondary. I think this is a real strength for Oklahoma. Yeah, and when you look at it, we've talked so much because we cover Oklahoma, and the questions around Oklahoma are we knew what the first five games were going to be, and the defense eye test, it looks so much better, all that stuff. This is where you find out how much of it's real. Flip that over. Texas was a much improved unit last year under Pete Kwiatkowski. They've been playing really well so far this year. 
Texas played a backup quarterback against Wyoming, I'm pretty sure. They played Jason Bean, a backup quarterback against Kansas, not Jalen Daniels. And Milrow, we've all seen what Milrow is at Alabama. Dylan Gabriel is the best quarterback this Texas defense has played this year, and it is not close. It's not anywhere close. As good as Quinn Ewers has been and him taking a step forward, if PFF's not the end-all, be-all, but if you look at their grades, Dylan Gabriel consistently highest-grade dude in the conference, highest-grade dude in the conference. His grade, he has been graded higher than Quinn Ewers has been. They're one and two coming into this week. So as much as we talk about that, this is going to be a massive, massive ask of the Texas secondary because Oklahoma's offensive line has been excellent in pass protection. And so for me, the question is, I know that it's take what you give, all that stuff, but does Nick Anderson get six or seven catches? If Nick Anderson gets six or seven catches, I'm telling you he's going to break some tackles and good things are going to happen. Is Dylan Gabriel going to be able to connect on a deep shot with Andrew Anthony? Can OU's offensive line hold up that long to let that happen? Brennan Thompson, hi, hello. You have never lost this game from the other sideline. You're going to stand on the same sideline this year as they flip home and away. Can Brennan Thompson's speed come out and hurt the Texas secondary? Those are the questions that the Longhorns have to answer because while they've been really good stopping the run and kind of dictating that, uh, I, I think Oklahoma should should be able to give Dylan Gabriel some time uh, to kind of negate that pass rush and let him try to work against this Texas defense. I like Oklahoma's passing game against Texas because they have such a variety. They've got big wide receivers. They've got over the top wide receivers. They've got the the fade the the back shoulder fade guys that can go up and and grab a ball in traffic. Uh, they've got the deep down the sideline guys. And these are all guys who have made plays. They've got the underneath guys. They've got the jet sweep guys. They've got uh, guys who can run really precise routes on third downs. That's something that I think Oklahoma is very underrated. And I don't know how Dylan Gabriel does it. When when you drop back to pass and and you can look at the All-22 or you can look at the TV copy or you can just watch it live, when Dylan Gabriel drops back to pass, there's very often, very often, more often than not, much more often than not, maybe 70% of the time, there's two guys open and sometimes three. If it's your first read, you go to your first read. If it's your second read, you go to your second read. I, I don't know how he keeps it straight because he's got a wealth of receivers, which is something that I don't think any of us necessarily predicted before the season. Like like I said before, who's going to lead this team in receiving? None of these guys have, do it before, have done it before. Now we're asking who's going to lead this team in receiving. These guys are unbelievable. Yeah. And they're going to have to have a huge impact on this game. And, and here's the other thing, too. You might look at, we, we talked about it earlier, the running game and what you have to do. We have not seen Jalil Root direct snaps this year. We've not seen Gavin Freeman direct snaps this year. We've seen a little bit of motioning Farouk into the backfield and Freeman to the backfield and using mm-hmm. those guys as swing passes, stuff like that. But I know that last year was Wildcat City and all that, but the rest of the year, the Jalil Farouk direct snap was a threat. Oklahoma ran that pretty consistently. Um trying to catch defenses off guard. So when we talk about this OU running game and, and someone's got to break out, not saying they're going to give Jaleel Farouk 17 carry, anything insane like that, but if he pops one because Texas defense isn't ready for it, something like that, it might be Oklahoma's wide receivers who are that X factor in the ground game if Oklahoma can get that going because they've got that potential. And and outside of that you know, punt return from Gavin Frame, we haven't seen things really click for him. This would be quite a day for him to, to get going and find a crease and, and gash Texas for, for something big that he's kind of creating for himself. 
noted uh, jump pass expert Eric Gray is no longer on the team. Noted Wildcat quarterback expert Braden Willis is no longer on the team. Those guys are making real money up in the NFL, right? So you think, remember the success that Oklahoma had with that, and it was success born out of the fact that they couldn't do anything else. Do you think Jeff Levy dusts some of that off, knowing that he might have an an exposure here or an advantage there, or hey, we can we can scheme this one or two plays near the goal line here? Not Jackson Arnold. That's that's gone. That's dead. That's in the ground. But um, so running a wildcat type thing, you think that could pop up this week? Uh, maybe not near the goal line because Dylan Gabriel's actually been Oklahoma. He's been really effective. He's got three yes. rushing touchdowns in two Big Twelve games. So I, yeah. I think that you'll see Dylan Gabriel. But as a uh, on a random second and one, like if you can catch Steve, Texas defense off guard, and if you block it up, worst case you're hoping that Shirley Jalil Farouk could take a direct snap randomly and get you two yards to get the first down. And maybe if you catch him way off guard, it hits for something that's a lot bigger and a bigger chunk play and kind of a safer down and distance type thing. Because uh, I, I wouldn't put any of that past Jeff Levy. Because again, like I said, we saw a lot of elements of that the rest of the year, even once Dylan Gabriel yeah. was back in the lineup in, in 2022. What kind of arm you think Tawi Walker's got? Uh, I, I hope it's better than his top speed because he's <laughs> been he's been the most he's been the most consistent running back for Oklahoma. But it's got to be better than the top gear. You know, uh, watching these guys in practice, it just popped into my head. Uh, like we got to watch them in spring and watch them in the fall. Marcus Major could throw the football a little bit. I was watching him. I watched him play catch. I watched him, uh, you know, throw it back to the quarterbacks on the in the pass game and stuff. He can sling it. So, sorry if I just popped a secret uh, that uh, that. Texas defensive coordinators are going to be uh, watching the All Sooners podcast. I'm sure. Was it Willis? Who threw two major at Nebraska? Because didn't major catch the, yeah. the trick Willis. play at Nebraska? Was it Willis who threw it to yeah. Marcus? Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's gone. That, gotta, that's on there. Can Blake Smith throw the football? We'll find out. Ooh, I don't think I'd go there. <laughs> I don't think uh, I'd but, give the Titans a single snap. Frankly, no, no, that's going to be uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, how about this, Ryan? Best player on the field. Either team? Um, That's a good one. We had a pretty spirited discussion this morning on if Stutzman or Ford's the best linebacker in the conference. Yeah, I say Ford. I I think that those two through five weeks are, are top five butt-kiss finalists. Yep. I would take Ford just because I think he's a bit more athletic because um, he's got all of the play recognition, all that stuff. Um, probably for me, Worthy or Ford. Worthy or Ford. I would say, um, I would say Ford, but I'm not saying, I, I, I'm wondering if we're talking three years from now, if it's PJ Adebore. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, well, I think that for right now, now if, if we're drafting, I think that Danny Stutzman goes in the top five of that yeah. draft. You know what I mean? Like if we're going back and forth. I think uh, if we're drafting, both quarterbacks come off the board pretty quickly. John, I'm not sure that Peyton Bowen isn't someone that I would be like, I want that guy on my side right now. No, I agree. I agree completely. Uh, Jalen Ford right now leads the team in um, tackles, tackles for loss, interceptions. (laughs) The same thing as last year. He led them in in fumbles forced, fumbles recovered, interceptions, quarterback hurries sacks tackles for loss i don't think sacks but you see where i'm saying um the dude's unbelievable he is unbelievably 
productive. When he's on the field, bad things happen for the offense. Yeah. Yep. 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 So it'll be really interesting. How about this for one last matchup? We talked about guys that go head to head, so you can't go Quinn versus Gabriel or anything like that. When's the last time in this rivalry we had both head coaches possibly calling plays for their respective units? Because I, I, and they'll never tell you, Norman, who's officially last call, whatever. I think Sark and Venables are going to be going heads up on Saturday, calling plays when the Texas offense is on the field and the OU defense is on the field. And I think that is fascinating because for a long time, you had Bob Stoops and Mac Brown, a defensive coach and a guy who made his way as an offensive coach. But Stoops was never, you know, yeah. he was trusting Brent Venables and Mike Stoops and those guys. And, and Mac Brown rotated through a cavalcade of, of different offensive coordinators, but you never got the sense that Mac himself has taken over. Give me a play sheet, anything like that. I think that we get that this Saturday. And I don't think we had that last year. I, I do believe that uh, when Brent says he needs to be more involved with the defense, he's talking about calling, he's alluding to having more play calling duties I think that we're going to see the two head coaches go heads up uh, when when their respective units are on the field calling plays. That's going to be interesting. But I would ask you this, Ryan. Why would Oklahoma change what they're doing for the Texas game? This is just another game. Well, I don't think that that would be a change of what Britt Venables has done at all this year on defense. But you think uh, he's been calling everything? I think he's been. I think he's been calling a lot more plays than. I think he's been involved more. I don't think he's been calling. I still think Ted Roof knows what he wants to call, and so he calls it. And then if Venables has a suggestion, I think Venables interjects. I, I know it's it's only we're halfway through only his second season as a head coach, but I thought it was really telling that Brent Venables talked about. He smiled. He's like, you know, in his press conference on Tuesday, go watch it, com. Uh, he's like, you know, Coaches aren't immune to having bad series, too. And he's immediately like, you know, the thing I would want to avoid is is putting us in a bad play call on first down. Then you're sitting there. You don't want to have that kind of self-talk as a play caller. I don't think he's that far removed from calling plays himself. I just the way that they've been calling it in and moving faster. I I believe in my heart of hearts. And this is not a report. This is not anything. I I think Brent's calling the defense. and, And I think that that's a big part of why situationally they've been in better calls as well as. Not just that, but the defense just playing better. Well, Brent is also calling who gets to talk to the media this week. Uh, we made mention of it on the, the press conference wrap yesterday, but I want to dive into it a little bit here, Ryan. Um, again, this is, this is trust me, when I say this, this is not about the media. This is about changing your protocols for the Texas game. Uh, two weeks ago, we got 16 players to talk to, right? And Two, a week before that, we got two coordinators to talk to. Now we haven't gotten coordinators in two weeks, and the the players made available to talk to the press this week amounted to a grand total of four. So we go from sixteen to four in one week. We went we went sixteen two weeks ago, thirteen last week. I counted 13. up four right, on six, Monday. It was yeah. six and seven. Yeah, last week. It's, so. it's been between ten and sixteen pretty mm-hmm. much uh, every week of the regular season. Right, and now this past week it was four. I get the feeling it's going to be back to tw- ten to ten to twelve next week. So the question is, if this is just another game, which we all know it's not, but you're basically you're going into the Texas game, Brian, and you're changing what you do specifically for the Texas game. 
Word is that, uh, you know, you don't want guys saying inflammatory things. You don't want guys providing any bulletin board material. I totally get that. But then you're saying it's okay if you say inflammatory things or careless things or bulletin board material when we're playing Iowa State. Just don't do it against Texas. And if you can't do it, if you can't not do it against Texas, I don't think I trust you to speak to the media this week. You're basically telling your players that you don't trust them to be responsible enough to not say something stupid. Am I, I, I know I, okay, so I'll, I'll back off here. I know I'm making too much of this, but I don't think there's any question. When you change midway through the season, you say, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. And you take it away because it's not just about us. It's about the players who get to come over and talk to us. Guys are usually out there 15, 20 minutes sometimes. Walter Rouse was out there for a half hour. They enjoy it. They get to tell their stories. And Brent's talked about guys selling their brand, telling their story, uh, making it about themselves. And here we are. It's OU Texas week and you only get four guys. Yeah, Brent answered it pretty frankly, I thought, when he was asked about it. Uh, and Brent said something that I think is 100% correct, that this is a bigger week for media than other weeks. And I can just tell you, there were more media members out there on Monday night than there are every single other Monday night. I counted them, 35 of us. Yeah, and I which remember... Is, which is really high. That's a high number. Yeah, I remember either the first or second week there were 22 people out there because I remember thinking there are more of us than there were last year and there were yes. 22. So there were 10 more people. It's already in a bigger media group. And then there were 10 more for OU Texas. Um, I guess I was supposed to say this as the media person, but I, I understood what he was saying. I think mm-hmm. that it's just a limiting outcomes type thing. What, what do good coaches do? They put their players in good situations when there's way more media members, guys that you haven't seen before, guys that you're not comfortable with, the guys you don't talk to every single week, I think Brett Vittles is putting his players in a, a – he's trying to limit the bad situations, the bad outcomes that could come of that. And, and I know that – and George Stoya asked him, like, you, you say this is like every other week, and then you do that. But here's the thing. Brent Venables talks about preparing every week like the opponent is a nameless, faceless opponent. And that's yeah. what he says. I would like to play, uh, you know, how Key and Peel did the anger translator. I would like to be coach speak translator for Brent Venables if he'll allow it. What Brent Venables would like to tell Oklahoma, and he can't, is I want you guys to prepare. I want you to watch film and I want you to practice every single week like we're playing Texas. Getting up for Texas is not the issue. It's getting up for Iowa State. It's getting up for Tulsa. And that is why you have that coach speak. I don't think he's worried about them treating this week any different because they're trying to foster an atmosphere where they practice every week like they're practicing for Texas. They're playing Texas this week. Now I just think they're trying to limit some of the outside stuff that he can't control, which is how many media members are there? What questions are they asking? That kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's well said. I think that's very well thought out, very well said, because uh, one of the things that he, um, in answer to my question about getting having having to rely on so many newcomers for a game where the, uh, the, the emotions are ebb and flow and ebb and flow back and forth, back and forth. And how do you survive that when you've never been in it before? He said, we try to replicate that in practice, that intensity, that, uh, that focus every day in practice. So what you're saying is correct. He's trying to cultivate uh, uh, make it second nature for guys to 
to understand this is how you prepare. Remember what we did for Texas? Remember this? Remember this? Having said all that, last year was 49 to nothing. And they went in and they changed the game plan. And they were going to go with Booty. And Booty got some kind of infection. And then, then they had to switch it up. And they went with the Wildcat. And they practiced the Wildcat all week. Remember that? It's like, wait a minute. Where, did that, where the heck did this come from? So a little bit of mixed signals there, I think, from Brent Venables. But um, it's all going to come out in the wash uh, on Saturday. 11 a.m. ABC, the uh, primetime spot is uh, the, the not the primetime spot, but just the, the primetime team is going to be there. Uh, Herbie's going to be there. Uh, it's going to be the best game of the week in college football. And it usually is whether they're ranked and college game day is there or not. It usually is the best college football game of the week or one of the most intense. Um, I got, I mean, I can't wait to get some corn dogs yeah. pregame. What are we talking, like 8.30 in the morning? We're going to ha- be splitting, double fisting some corn dogs? Yeah, usually. That's when the All Suitors Company card comes down, That which <laughs> is just the John Hoover personal card for the coupons for the Fletchers. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be fun. 20 in a row for me. Unbelievable. And it's not just Fowler and Herbie and Holly Rowe. It's not just college game day. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey will be in attendance at the Cotton Bowl. He will be the only conference commissioner in attendance. What? Stunning. Your, mark, your mark's not going to be there? What? He's got to go to the Butt Bowl. Baylor and Texas Tech are playing. So um, I'm pretty sure we talked about on the podcast last week where your mark, we made the prediction that your mark wasn't coming. Shout out Brett, your mark. If you're watching, which obviously you are, uh, if you're watching the all sooners podcast, what, um, how do you feel about that? Ryan, that, that Sankey is there and your mark is not, uh, it's, it's a weird back and forth. You're the commissioner of the big 12. You only have two ranked teams. You're on college game day and you're not there. Seems kind of weak. But Texas sure doesn't want him there. OU doesn't want him there. This is more of a City of Dallas festival event than a Big 12 event. Like the City of Dallas is the ones that put on the Cotton Bowl and all that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, And he'll have to watch these two teams play in December anyway. So I, I don't know yeah. why he would want to uh, attend two OU Texases when he can just get booed at one this year. As a commissioner, I mean, this is one of the things that you, that you live for. OU Texas, the rivalry. And he's just being petty and saying, I'm not going to that game. Well, he lives he lives for Kansas and Iowa State at Hilton because he likes basketball, which is fine. He's just not a serious football commissioner, which is why he had no idea how to answer the recruiting questions at Big 12 Media yeah. Day. And is it's the butt bowl in Lubbock? Say what? Butt bowl's in Lubbock this year? Uh, I think so. I think so. Because uh, all he's got to do is drive across town. Drive across town, and there's your big there's your big game of the week, national you, game of the week. You would think. I, I think that it's just easier for all parties that OU and Texas are like, yeah, we would prefer you not to be here, and your mark's like, cool. Cool. Good stuff, Ryan. Always appreciate you, man. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys. Oh, by the way, uh, allsoftball.com has fired up once again unintentionally. Uh, last week, we had the Mary Nutter preview. Oklahoma starting the season out in Puerto Vallarta, so I need to get my passport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. need to get that all done and dusted. Uh, they've landed recruits left, right, and centers. Just go to allsewers.com, hit the softball tab. You've got some softball cooking. And we'll have to start the battle series next week as weather has scrapped the October 4th debut of the battle series out at Marita Hines. All Sooners, all softball. You got it.
Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. We'll see you. Remember, this segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free, folks, and begin real retirement planning now. Don't wait. Retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, living trusts, all that. Let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you started and help you take control of your financial future. Coming up next on the All Sooners podcast, Randall's going to join us and he's going to talk a little recruiting and we're going to finish our preview of the Red River rivalry. All that's next. Hopefully my voice holds out on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. back on the All Sooners podcast. Final segment. If you like the All Sooners podcast, I would remind you to please go ahead and like us. Drop us a nice rating. We prefer the five-star ratings. I can't tell you how much that guy that helps. If you uh, like us and give us a five-star rating, the podcast platform that you're listening to pushes us out for some more suggestions and the podcast can grow and we can bring you more sponsors and we can bring you more data and information on the Sooners. So uh, share us on social media as well as the All Sooners podcast. If you get a little Twitter button or X button, x.com. I'm going to call it Twitter because uh, it still doesn't register on our website when we embed a tweet. X.com doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it Twitter until at least x.com starts working. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Leave us a comment. Mash that like button. Right? All that good stuff. Segment three. Randall joins us. A bug in here. Uh, Randall joins us here on segment three. We're going to talk a little recruiting, but first let's finish the preview of Saturday's OU Texas game. Randall, it's your first time to cover. Uh, we're going to have a lot of these this year. Your first road trip, your first home game, your first road game, all that good stuff. This is your first OU Texas game. You've been there for these in the past. You've been to the Texas State Fair. You, you understand the atmosphere and all that. This is your first cover, your first time on the sideline for OU Texas. How excited are you, man? Oh, I, I could not be more excited. I mean, the atmosphere of just what OU Texas is, especially, uh, you know, this year's game being, you know, so monumental in both of these teams' seasons and really the the trajectory of the programs uh, in their turnarounds with their new coaches. I mean, I don't think there's a better first OU Texas game to cover. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear how loud it's going to be on the field because I know it's going to be up a few decibels from anything we've heard so far this year. And I, uh, Obviously, very excited for some Fletcher's corn dogs. Yeah, you picked a good uh, you picked a good one to uh, to make your first, and uh, you better believe we're going to be rolling in through my uh, my secret kind of backdoor entrance into the State Fair parking lot, uh, and then we're going to be getting there about eight. We're going to be rolling up to Fletcher's with a handful of coupons about eight thirty, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be looking for some trash cans about nine. 
No, Fletcher's doesn't make you do that. Fletcher's is awesome. I love Fletcher's. Uh, me and Fletcher's follow each other on Twitter. Wow. And uh, I was pretty stoked when they got a, a concessionaire booth at the uh, at Memorial Stadium for home games at Oklahoma. Um, and I can't swear that they're doing that again this year, but I know they did the past, I think, two years, three years, whatever it was. Man, I can't get enough Fletcher's corny dogs. Here's the deal. I've told people this before, Randall. I don't generally like corn dogs. Like, go to Sonic and they're having the corn dog deal. Buy one, get one, right? And I'm like, I don't want any corn dogs. I go to the state fair of Texas and I'm like, which? Where's the nearest Fletcher's? Okay. It's different. It's just different. It is. I mean, everyone talks about fair food in general being great, which it is a hundred percent. But Fletcher's yeah. corn dogs are, you know, the staple there. There's just something like you said. There's something different about them. Uh, I think I could eat a million of them on an OU Texas day and uh, I'd be happy. My favorite OU Texas memory has to do with check, uh, Fletcher's corny dogs. My nephew was in the pride playing trumpet and he uh, texted me and said, uh, I'm, you know, in the third row or whatever. I think it was his senior year, 2004. It was like 59 degrees and drizzling the entire game. And he texted me at like eight in the morning and said, uh, we're, you know, we're down here on the field. Can't wait to see you, whatever. I was like, have you eaten? And he said, no, I'm starving. <laughs> Cause they've been up, you know, the band, right? The pride, they get up at like 5 AM and get down there and start getting prepared. He didn't have time for breakfast. So I got, <laughs> I went to Fletcher's and I brought four corn dogs and I've got two for me and two for him. And I was like, bro, here's your corn dogs. <laughs> that is my all time favorite OU Texas memory is providing my nephew two Fletcher's corny dogs uh, before the 12, nothing shutout, not the red river shootout, but the red river shutout back in 2000, uh, 2004, Vince Young and those guys couldn't even find the end zone, much less reach it. Yeah. That, uh, that sounds like a pretty good memory. I, uh, I think the first OU Texas game I ever went to was in 2019, uh, which was a pretty entertaining uh, battle between Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger. Uh, and I think the only other OU Texas game I've been to was in 2021 when Caleb Williams and uh, Casey Thompson duked it out uh, at the Cotton Bowl. So two two pretty fun memories, but nothing like providing a family member with uh, some <laughs> valuable nourishment in a time of need. Corny dog sustenance, that's what I call it. Yeah. So uh, you might be in for another, <clears throat> another one of those classics, Randall, with uh, a quarterback showdown, a quarterback duel between Dylan Gabriel and uh, Quinn Ewers. I mean – Holy cow! This thing's got the got the markings. When you talk about the receiver cores, yes. and you talk about the quarterbacks, and you talk about the offensive coordinators, this thing has all the markings of a high scoring back and forth kind of game. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's. I mean, obviously, aside from last year, that's what we've seen out of OU Texas for, I mean, a long time. I mean, really since what twenty seventeen. If you think back to twenty eighteen, Kyler Murray and Sam Ellinger going back and forth. The next year, Jalen Hurts going back and forth with Sam Ellinger. The year after that, I mean, what that was the four-overtime special where the two teams duked it out. And while it seems like both teams are much better defensively now than they were in any of those games, it would not be surprising, like you said, to see another back-and-forth shootout where both teams are running up and down the field scoring. I think that the passing offenses of both of these teams are going to really allow for that. I mean, we've seen Dylan Gabriel throw the ball all around the yard to really whoever he wants, Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, Jaleel Farouk, uh, Andrew Anthony. Um, tons of other guys. I mean, Drake Stoops. Bob Stoops has, son. Yeah, Drake Stoops has a few touchdowns this year. I mean, obviously Texas has a few amazing wide receivers in Whittington, A.D. Mitchell, uh, Xavier Worthy. We've seen what he can do to OU in the past. So, you know, with those receiver cores, like you said, Dylan Gabriel 
playing at really the top of his game, the best that we've seen him play at Oklahoma. Quinn Ewers playing the best we've seen him play as a college quarterback. Uh, it really has the makings of, like you said, a high-scoring uh, shootout. If OU is able to run the ball better than we've seen really all season, then that would just add an extra layer to that. Uh, Texas has had success running the ball. Uh, well, it's, at least it seems like with John, with the year that Jonathan Brooks has had. So, uh, you know, offensively, OU might have to play catch up in on the ground, but uh, through the air, it seems like these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Yeah. Now we talked a lot about the offense and Brooks is averaging 120 yards a, ga- a game on the ground. So he's really good. But what, what are the odds that the first person who puts on the, uh, the, the golden hat is either Danny Stutzman or Jalen Ford? Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right in that. I know I just got done saying this is going to be an offensive showdown, but it feels like right now Stutzman and Ford are the two best players on their respective teams. I mean, Jalen Ford's been one of the best defensive players in the country by far. And I think that, um, you know, you could make the case for Danny Stutzman being one of the best linebackers up to this point in the country uh, this season. I mean, these two have generated takeaways. They, I mean, Stutzman's been flying all over the field, you know, tackles for loss, sacks in the backfield. Um, I, I think that those two guys, the way they play is going to be very important. And even if it is an offensive showdown, if those two guys are able to, you know, generate at least a few stops, maybe a few turnovers, for their their defense, then I think that that's really going to be uh, the team that has the edge. If if Danny Stutzman has another pick six like he did against Tulsa, yeah. or you know Jalen Ford forces a few more interceptions himself, I think he probably think he has something crazy like eight turnovers in the past ten games. Or I might be misremembering that stat. But if those two guys are able to force turnovers to kind of get going, then I think that's going to be a really good indication of who's going to win that game. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, those guys are uh, those guys are playmakers, mm-hmm. and um, very uh, when when the Butkus Award announces their finalists, both those guys are going to be on it. Yeah. That's my prediction. Let's talk some recruiting, Randall. Um, Sooners got another commit yeah. this week, yesterday, um, and holy cow, it's the first commit of the 2026 class. And holy cow, it's a running back. Yeah. Marco Murray's still doing that work. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's. I don't want to say shocking, but I mean, the 2026 class just feels like it's so far down the road that, you know, yeah. getting commitments there, it's uh makes me feel a little old. I can't lie, but uh, Hatton, you know, the first running back to commit to OU in the 2025 or 2026 class uh, is a great, mm. great get for DeMarco Murray. I mean, you, you mentioned that he continues to put in the work. I mean, number one running back in the 2024 class committed to OU top five running back in the 2026 class committed to OU right now. Jonathan Hatton is the number five running back in twenty twenty in the twenty twenty six class, according to the twenty four seven Sports Composite. Uh, this is a guy who's a top seventy player in the twenty four seven Sports Composite, so this is, he's very highly thought of a speed demon in the backfield, uh, which again fits with a lot of what OU likes on offense. I mean, Gavin Sawchuk is also kind of that that really fast, um, versatile running back out of the backfield. Um, but again, Hatton is it was a, a bit of a shock for not only us in the recruiting world, but from what I heard, it was even a shock to some people inside the program. Um, and I, and you and I talked about it, you know, when you get a commitment from a player that's this young, it does raise the question, sophomore. a sophomore, right. A sophomore in high school, this kid's 15, 16, maybe. Um, it does raise the question, you know, what did, how, to what extent does he like understand or know about the Brent Venables visit and commitment policy? And um, so that was that was our first question. But it seems like, uh, according to 
to Jonathan at least, he, he's aware of it and that he, he said he's seen all he needs to see, um, which again, being so young, time will tell if that remains true. But at the moment, you have to like what DeMarco Murray is doing and what the Sooners were, doing, were able to do going out and getting a commitment from a high-level player who plays at a, a plays at Cibolo Steel, a high, very, very high-level program in Texas. I mean, if you follow Texas high school football, you know Steel is year in, year out, one of the better programs in 6A in Texas. Um, and they, there's other guys on the team that OU's interested in that have offers from the Sooners in the 25 class. Um, and so I'm sure that this, that that OU, that DeMarco Murray, Jeff Levy, those guys are not going to let up. They're not going to... Um, now that now that Hatton's committed, they're not going to forget about him. They're going to maintain that relationship, and uh, if they are able to keep him on board in that 2026 class, that's a fantastic start in that recruiting class. Because again, you're getting a four star, one of the top 70 players, top five running backs in the class. Um, it's hard to ask for much better than that when the guy's two years out from even being a senior in high school. Uh, yeah, that's a good start for DeMarco Murray and those guys. Uh, the 26 class, Nebraska. Yes, Vanderbilt, Baylor, and Texas Tech are his uh, his recruit or his um, offers. He's going to get more, obviously, okay. now that Oklahoma is offered. Yeah. Um, he visited last weekend. Do you know? Yes, he was. He was. Uh, so I I uh, should have mentioned that he he came to Norman this summer for the Brent Venables Elite Camp um, in in June. That's where he picked up his offer. So he'd only played one year of high school football. Oh, you saw him on film. Oh, you saw him at camp, and they they knew that that this was a guy they identified him as a guy that they wanted really early. Um, and which, which also to me tells me that, um, that his character, they were able to at the camp, they were able to see how he interacts with other high school athletes, how he interacts with coaches and that that really aligned with what, um, with OU's values. Um, so I think that's an important aspect too, but he picked up the offer at the Brent Venables camp, came back to Norman next month in July for uh, one of the Sooners recruiting events that month. Um, and then last weekend was on campus when OU took down Iowa State, which again uh, we talked about. They aren't they haven't been able to get the rushing offense going, but they did put up 50 points on a team that is you know been one of the better defensive teams in the conference for you know the past six eight years. Um, and so putting that that performance on display, you know the atmosphere was really lively against Iowa State. Uh, after seeing that, uh, it, it makes sense. Well, it it's it makes sense that this commitment comes on the heels of that, I guess I should say. Um, and, and also I, I should note that his teammate, Royal Capel, 2025 receiver, also from Cibolo Steel, also picked up an offer at the Brent Venables camp this summer, also in town um, when OU took on Iowa State, uh, posted about about it on social media. Seems like he really enjoys his visit. So uh, that seems like a guy that OU's uh, pulling for in the 2025 class as well. They've already got a trio of talented receivers there. Uh, Capel could be another addition. Yeah, don't put it past Emma Jones, right? Um, team rankings right now, <clears throat> Oklahoma's going into the final third of the recruiting calendar. Uh, sorry, maybe the final quarter of the recruiting calendar with uh, their, their ranked number six team rankings according to Rivals, number seven according to 24-7 Sports, and number eight according to On3. So there's some uh, continuity there, and I think you can say that Oklahoma's got a top 10 class, probably going to stick with the top 10 class. They're certainly going to add to it. Um, Randall, a couple of guys who you mentioned uh, visitors at the Iowa State game. There were a couple of guys, a couple of high-profile guys, including I made my prediction on the podcast last week that uh, Austin Stogner was going to have a big game against the Cyclones because – 
Devon Mitchell was on his, on, I don't know if it was official or unofficial, don't know what his uh, status is yet in terms of reclassifying, uh, sticking to the rules and all that stuff. So we'll just say Devon Mitchell was on his visit. Um, David Stone was there. Jaden Jackson was there. Quite a busy weekend for the Sooners last, last weekend. They had a bunch of dudes in the end zone before the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, moving around down there, it was packed. I mean, it was it was hard to get around with all the other recruits watching the team warm up, watching, uh, you know, seeing the, the fan atmosphere, the environment. And again, they picked OU picked a great week to to bring all these guys in town. Not only did they did they put up a lot of points, um, did they 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 blow out Iowa State, but like I said, the environment was really fun. They were able to show off the uh, you know the, the the cool lighting effects that they have in the stadium. You know um, that that third to fourth quarter transition light show that they do the um, the the how they drop the lights and bring them back in after touchdowns, things like that. Um, I know that you know, maybe not all viewers enjoy that, but uh, the recruits I know think that that's something that's really cool. And so I know that OU was glad they were able to show that off, show it off plenty against Iowa State. Um, you, you mentioned some of the guys, David Stone, Jaden Jackson, Devon Mitchell, three really important commits in that 2024 class. Andy Bass was also on hand. Uh, Ace Hodges was also on hand. Those are two local commits that are, uh, you know, both going to be coming in in 2024 as well. Um, Bergen Kaiser, another local guy who was there. Zion Kearney from uh, the Houston area. He's one of uh, OU's top uh, rated commits in the 2024 class, a four-star wide receiver. Uh, he was there with uh, a few other kids from the Houston area that, that OU is interested in. Um, Maury Moore, who's a commit in the 2025 class, was on hand. Um, and then, you know, aside from that, Kevin Sperry was also there. You know, these Carl Albert guys have uh, made their way, I think, down to OU for every home game so far, which you, for the Sooners, Sooners fans, you have to think that that's a good sign. Um knowing that there's, I think, three guys on that team who currently have OU offers that are uncommitted. Um, you know, the fact that they that Carl Albert guys have been at all these OU home games has to at least put OU in a good position with those guys. Um, I don't want to speak definitively, but it seems like they're, they're making some good headway. Um, and again, some other guys, Gus Cordova, who's a 2025 OU offer, Alex Shieldknight, a local kid from Wagner, Oklahoma, 2025 OU offer, both on hand. Javian Osborne, who's another uh, running back offer, I, I believe, in the 2026 class on hand. Gregory Patrick, who's an offensive lineman in the 2026 class, was there as well. I mentioned Royal Capel, who was um, who was teammates with um, Jonathan Hatton, OU's newest commit, also on hand. And I mean, those are just a few of the names. I mean, there's tons of other guys there. Caden Jones? Caden Jones, right. Yeah. Thank you. I glossed over his name. Caden Jones is on hand. I mean, these OU made it a point to get a bunch of their offers and commits on hand, see what they had to, to show off against Iowa State. There's a ton of kids there who don't have offers yet, but who could easily get offers. Um, you know, some 2026 pr uh, prospects, some some local kids who maybe could be uh, PWOs in the future. Um, the, the way OU has used their home games as just massive recruiting events is really um, something to behold because it seems like every single home game, there's 20 plus guys on campus and they're, they're you know, using it as an opportunity to bring in guys on all levels, whether they're commits, whether they're offers, whether they're guys who aren't offers yet that might be offers in the future, whether they're preferred walk-on, potential preferred walk-ons. I mean, the gamut, they're running the gamut of the recruits at these events, at, at these games. I think that um, it's just going to pay off uh, for OU. And when you don't have to kick off at 11 a.m., when you have a 6 p.m. kickoff like you did against Iowa State, it's a lot easier to get kids from Michigan like Gregory Patrick or from Houston like Zion Kearney up to campus at 6 p.m. 
than it is at 11 a.m., especially if they're playing high school football the night before. Yeah. Yeah, that was huge, I thought, especially when you can flick those uh, LEDs on and off. Yes. Um, let's see. Let's go with the immediate future. October 12th is the date that Daniel Akinkunmi has uh, set. Yeah. We've talked about him a couple of times in the past, and here we are. It's next week. Yeah. It's literally next week. Um, so uh, any any movement on him, any, any word, any tweets, anything interesting turning on him? I, I think that right now OU is probably um, – <laughs> pretty firmly in the lead for Akinkunmi. I think that, um, again, this is a guy that Bill Biedenboe's identified as someone that he, one of his guys, you know. And we talk about it all the time. Bill B doesn't always necessarily grab the highest rated recruits, but he knows what he's looking for in offensive linemen. Um, that That's something, I mean, we know that's a staple of Bill Biedenboe's recruiting is even when he doesn't grab the highest guys, he knows the type of guys, the style, the uh, and he's able to develop them into, you know, the players that he wants. And I think that Akin Kunmi may be um, getting a little slighted in the ratings. I don't mean that as a shot at any rating services, but it's hard to evaluate a guy who's not playing in the United States. That's, I mean, obvious. Yeah. Um, and so, so naturally, I think he's going to be a lower recruit than he would be if he was playing at a high school in Dallas or a high school in, you know, Tampa or something like that. Um but I, I do think that OU is in the lead, I think, ever since his trip to Norman uh, for week one when, the, when OU played Arkansas State. I think OU's been in the lead since then, and I don't think that they've done anything or that any other schools have done anything to change that. Um, I would, be, I, I would um, assume that, again, on that commitment date, OU will still be in the lead. I don't think that between now and then there's much that could change that, but um, you know, he's got offers from Clemson, from other schools. In recruiting, you never know who could swoop in at the end. He's a guy that teams could see how valuable he is and come in and, and offer last minute. It wouldn't be surprising at all. He, you know, can play, according to him, all five spots on the line. Um, you know, a, this is a guy, a big kid with a lot of potential. So it wouldn't be surprising to see a big school take a chance on him and, um, you know, him consider that but i think where everything stands right now OU's in a great spot to land him on october 12th so uh terry bussey number one athlete in the country picking between oklahoma texas and texas a&m he chose last week a&m which surprised me a little bit i thought he was going to texas yeah i am i think that that a&m did a really good job of um building a relationship with terry bussey i think that um their NIL capabilities are very enticing, especially to a player who's the number one athlete in the state of Texas. Um, and I mean, we know that A&M, that's one area of recruiting that they have an advantage over a lot of other programs is that not only do they have the NIL funds, but they know how to use it. They, they know how to um, put it into effect to get the guys that they want on campus. And I, again, I don't mean that as a shot. That's a legitimate recruiting tactic in today's world of college football. Good job, man. Appreciate it. Um, little advice for you, little OU Texas advice. Don't get too filled up on corny dogs because uh, after the game, which is, of course, for us, is going to be late. Uh, after the game, we're going to go walk the midway and we're going to go imbibe some uh, frozen cheesecake and fried Oreos and all that. We're going to do the, the super sweets at the end of the day, which will help me drive back to Tulsa. Little little extra sugar cake. It's going to be a great weekend. OU Texas is always a great weekend. I want to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners Podcast, midweek. Don't forget, 
Saturday's show is episode 212. You know what that means. You can catch that one and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon enabled device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And all of our shows are posted over on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.